Welcome everybody. Please find your places. Let's uh, gather it up. We're about ready to get started. I'm really glad that y'all are here with us and uh, welcome to October, right? And uh, I, I love this time of the year. I do. I think it's beautiful outside. I think it's wonderful. It's my favorite time of the year. Uh, it happens to be around my birthday, so it's part of the reason. I don't know. I've got a, I've got a cool story I want to read to you, and uh, I got this in an email, and uh, this email came to me from a friend who attends this church, and I've, I'm going to make it anonymous. I got permission to read this, okay? And uh, it's concerning what we do in our church ministries and specifically about life groups. And many of you know that we have a bunch of life groups for all different ages and stages of life and whatnot. And just recently, we started a brand new one called Open Door. And this individual has not previously been attending life groups, but decided, okay, I'll try out this Open Door. And I got this email unsolicited, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. So let me just read it to you. And the email starts out like this. Okay, you were right. I love life group. We learn, share, laugh, and love. You realize that people have struggles just like you, just like you do, and don't feel so alone in your own struggle. Definitely feels like a family. I love how there are people all around me that help me continue to learn. My growth in the last three months has been pretty amazing. Last night, we answered a bunch of questions and then added them up under different categories. I, of course, scored the highest in testimonial. Shocker, huh? You know me. I like to talk a lot. Funniest part was that this other individual did also. Found that interesting the way that God used him in my life. Several people know the story at work and have said it really made them think about how God works. Never thought I would ever share God with anyone. But I realized that it doesn't have to be all technical. It just needs to be your own story. So I told this individual two weeks ago about how God used him to bring me back. It was a very emotional night for both of us. He said I couldn't have told him at a better time. He was really struggling that night. Broke my heart to see it. He was very humbled that God used him, even with the way his life was such a mess right now and his past failures to reach someone. Thanks for starting this life group. And you know, if you're here and you're, you have been hearing about this life group thing and you're thinking, yeah, I don't know, I'm busy, I don't know if I have time for that, really just consider the fact of all the great benefits to your personal life and growth and ministry as well as the ways that you can be a benefit and a blessing to others as well. And with that thought in mind, I want to kind of come into where we're at today because we're in the Gospel of John. We're in chapter number 20. You want to prepare your Bibles, open up to John chapter 20. And uh, I realize that real life isn't always just, you know, sunshine and roses. I mean, I get it. Uh, you work hard, you, you, you work your jobs, and, and you come home, and, and there's real problems and struggles and, and conflicts in life, and there's things that we have to deal with regularly as people. Um, you try the best you can to make everything work out, and it doesn't always work out. There's troubles around you and difficulties. The days turn to weeks and weeks to months and months to years, and years pass, and sometimes you can catch yourself sitting back and wondering really, isn't there more to life than this? Isn't, isn't there more than what I'm experiencing? It just seems like it's all kind of a blur. We get frustrated, we get stressed out, and some people even get kind of depressed. Uh, I did a little bit of homework this week and just happened to notice on uh, the, the Center for Disease Control, the government agency, the CDC, um, they, they had posted some stats about anti-depression medication use in the United States. And, and the stats were from 1995 to 2008, and the anti-anxiety depression medication has increased 400% over those numbers of years in our country. And you know what? The fact of the life is, is that more and more people suffer from different levels of anxiety and depression, and as a result, what do they do? They immediately turn to medication. And, and listen, I understand that there are times when you need uh, chemical assistance and, and medication is necessary, but I also understand that um, some anxiety or depression can be handled not necessarily just by turning to medication, but by truly turning to Jesus. And, and that's what I really want us to think about. I mean, if, if you have been down and have been down for an extended period of time, and you've not really surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, before all of the other options become available to you, you might ought to at least give Jesus a shot. You ought to allow him to work in your life and see if he can't turn your life around. You know, Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse number one, he said, let not your heart be troubled. 
because he knows that our hearts get troubled. And through that chapter 14 of John, he ultimately then introduced to us that there will be one coming called the Comforter. We understand that to be the Holy Spirit. In other words, in the midst of the trouble in your life, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to send you comfort. I'm going to send you comfort. And so I don't know about you, if you're like me, and if we're all going to be honest with ourselves, whether or not we would say it publicly, we probably all have moments in our life when we secretly in those quiet, alone moments wonder if all this Jesus stuff is really true. Sometimes things just, again, aren't working out so great, and you wonder, man, I'm praying, man, I'm in church, man, I'm doing these things, and yet my life is still just a big mess. Is it possible that it's even just not even true, and the devil tries to whisper in your ear that maybe it's not, and here we are in our story in John chapter 20, and last week we talked about the empty tomb and Jesus' resurrection, but think if you could in the, in the mindset of the disciples. The disciples had lived these three plus years walking with Jesus and seeing all the miracles and all the promises of the coming kingdom and their position in that kingdom. And here now Jesus is dead and he's gone. And these guys, to say the least, are stressed out. They're, they're depressed. These guys are thinking, oh man, what is happening now? We had, we had all our hope in Jesus and they actually crucified him and they have yet to meet the risen Savior. And in today's passage, Jesus appears for the first time to these disciples who have this feeling of hopelessness in their lives because everything that they thought seems to not be working out. And so Jesus throughout then appears to them in several times and What we're going to see in this particular passage is that his message to the disciples on these first appearances to them is that you would have peace. He says unto them three different times, peace be unto you. And so that's the title I gave to today's message, Peace for a Troubled Heart. And that's what we're going to see as we look together in John chapter 20. So if you'll just follow along, I'm going to read starting in verse 19, and we're going to go to the end of the chapter, John 20, 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We've seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe." And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we come before this passage of Scripture, Lord, really the feelings that these disciples probably had are not all that different than a lot of the emotions that we go through in our lives. And As we see, Lord, that you say over and over again, peace be unto you, peace be unto you, our desire is today, Lord, that we would find that peace, that peace that passes all understanding, that true and lasting peace that doesn't just come and go, but it's founded in our relationship and our identity, knowing who we are in you. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray that you would change our lives. I pray that we would find exactly what we need because you are the creator. You are the God of all life. You know exactly what we need. And I pray that you'd use your word and speak to us today in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, the first way that we're going to look at this is uh, our first point in your notes is how we're going to find peace through a lasting partnership. And this is just in verses 19 
and 20. The very first words that Jesus speaks after the resurrection when he appears to the disciples as a group, peace be unto you. And what Jesus really wants to do is that he wants to encourage the disciples. Again, their minds, who knows where their minds are? He had, he's dead, he's been buried three days, and, and they hadn't yet got word, and so now Jesus appears in their midst and he's encouraging them. He, he's, he's offering them encouragement that, hey guys, the, the good times are not over. You know how a lot of times we say the good old days, and we always refer back to some previous time because whatever's going on now is not as good as what something used to be in the past. Can you imagine the good old days stories the disciples could have told? right? But Jesus is saying, it ain't over. I'm still here. Look, you guys don't need to stress out. You don't need to worry. You don't need to be fearful. I am here, and we're going to keep this thing going. And that's a great message. That's the message he brought to them. These guys were probably feeling some anxiety because they felt like they had lost something that was very dear and very important to them. But Jesus says, look, you haven't lost anything. I want you to keep your finger here in John 20, but uh, go back to Luke chapter 24 because this would be the parallel uh, account of the same story. This is the exact same story in Luke chapter 24. We'll read several verses starting in verse 36. Verse 36. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are ye troubled? And why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that as I myself handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And so Jesus appears before them, and we have a little bit more detail in this story. The thing I want you to notice is that they were frightened. Uh, when they saw Jesus, it says they thought that they had seen a spirit. We might say they thought, maybe they thought they saw a ghost, okay? They saw Jesus. Jesus was a little different, okay? He looked a little different. But he shows up in their presence, and he's basically saying, hey, guys, we got this thing. And if you look back in John chapter 20, in verse 20, it says they were glad when they saw him. I'm sure it was shocking. I'm sure it was, it was a, a bit of a jolt to him when it happened. But you've got to understand that peace comes in our lives in knowing that all of these temporary troubles and all of these things that we're going through are, are just temporary and that we have an eternal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus taught and then he disappeared, he died and was put in the grave and maybe the disciples, like many of us, began to doubt and to wonder, are these things really true? Are the things that he said really true? And he appears and he confirms and he says, yes, I am here, I have conquered death and hell and I am back. And it would have brought them great joy, it would have brought them great peace. And yeah, for a moment they were frightened but Jesus made it very clear Listen, the big picture is so much better. Uh, I'm reminded of Romans chapter 8 and verse number 18 where it's, Paul says this, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Amen? I mean, if you can just get a glimpse in your mind's eye of what eternity is going to be like and all the glory and all the joy and all the happiness and no more sin and no more devil and no more fighting and no more death and no more tears. And we say, yes, we suffer. Yes, life is not fair. Yes, there are real difficulties that we have to go through, but they're temporary. And they're not even worthy to be put on the same scale with the glory that God has for us. And basically, that's the message that's coming through. Jesus is telling them, look, we have a lasting partnership. We have an eternal relationship. People a lot of times go through anxiety because they just feel lonely. They wish they had somebody that could be with them, and they always just feel like, I'm, I'm just alone. And that's a very real emotion. But whether you are alone or whether you're surrounded with people, some people feel alone in a big crowd. But Jesus Christ says, regardless of the physical uh, human relationships that you may or may not have, you've got me, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm right here. If you can just view life from this bigger picture, 
I'm telling you, it'll help you. It'll help you on every single level. And I want to take you down a little bit of a side road, just for a second, okay? And I, because the Bible talks about it. And I want to talk a little bit about this body, this resurrected body that Jesus was in. When they saw him, they were frightened. They were a little bit shocked, and they wondered. They're like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Jesus obviously had a little bit of a different appearance. He came out of the grave, and his physical countenance, his resurrection body, is just a little bit different than the one we enjoy or not so much, depending on how you're doing. So I gave you a little bit of information out of, out of our Bible study here on the resurrected body and what the Bible teaches us about that. Well, the first thing that we see is that it's able to pass through solid objects. It made it very clear that the disciples had hunkered down and locked themselves in. They put the bars on the doors and they said, man, the Jews might come in and they might persecute us. We've got to protect ourselves. And everything's locked down tight and Jesus just appears in the midst And so Jesus can obviously pass through solid objects in his resurrected body. Think about it, by the way, when he died and went into the tomb. Remember last week we talked about how he went into the center of the earth and then came back out. That also means he went right through the earth's crust, by the way, just something to think about. But he can pass through solid objects. You know what else it can do? It says in in Luke's version, it says that he is, he said, go ahead and touch me and handle me because the spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And the one thing that I want you to just consider is the fact that it does not make any mention of blood. Now, does that necessarily mean that Jesus had no blood? Well, I think it could mean that. Can you prove that he absolutely didn't have any? Well, I'd have a hard time proving it. But I want you to know that the Bible distinctly does not say that he had any. It says, notice that I am flesh and bones. Why is that important? Well, just consider something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 50, the Bible says that flesh and what? Blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Why might that be? Well, maybe it's because if you go back to Leviticus chapter number 17, the Bible tells us very clearly that the life of the what? The flesh is in the blood. And our flesh is no good. Our flesh is contrary to the things of the Spirit of God. And the life of the flesh is in the blood. And flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. According to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse number 22, we see that it necessitates the shedding of blood in order for there to be salvation. And in Acts chapter 20 and verse number 28, Jesus Christ himself, when he shed his blood, it literally says that it, because he's God, it was God's blood. <laughs> it's very interesting. Whatever the case might be, he says, I am flesh and I am bones. It doesn't say, in other places it says flesh and blood, but here it says flesh and bones. It shows that he still has the scars of the crucifixion. So Jesus has this resurrected body. He can pass through solid objects. It's just flesh and bones. Does it have blood or not? I think not, nevertheless. He looks and he says, here, put your fingers in the prints of the nails in my hands and my feet and my side. So Jesus Christ is in his eternal resurrected state, y'all, still has the scars of the crucifixion. Does that mean I'm going to have the scars that I got through my life? Probably not. Probably not. But Jesus Christ does. Why is that? Well, I'm going to offer for you something to consider. Because in Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 21, notice what it says. Paul speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is even able even to subdue all things unto himself. The Bible clearly says that when we leave this earth when our physical life passes and we get our new resurrected body at the rapture of the church that it will be like unto his glorified body what exactly does that mean well it's very interesting there's a lot of different places i could take you i just want to take you to psalm chapter 17 and verse number 15 because in psalm 17 15 basically uh, the psalmist is praying and he's saying man i can't wait for that day when i get to see you lord because when i do i will because death in the bible for a believer is likened unto sleep When I awake, what does it say? With thy likeness. Now, if you took the time to study, and we're not doing it today. This is, again, just kind of a sidebar, but it's interesting. There's image and there's likeness, and they're not the same. The image is typically those things that would be the non-physical characteristics of an individual. When we are saved, we now take the image of God because his life enters in our life and we are a new creature. We have God's image in the very moment of salvation. 
But likeness is something physical. And we will get the likeness of Jesus Christ at the rapture of the church. When God created Adam, he created Adam in his own image and likeness. And so what if? Just what if? Maybe. We all get to eternity and we all look like Jesus. And the only thing that differentiates us from Jesus Christ is that we don't have any holes in our hands. We don't have any holes in our feet. But Jesus does. As a constant reminder, because think about it, y'all. Listen, I'm 50 years old, and to me that seems like a long time. But we're going to live forever. And, and I don't expect that then will be anything like now. But I don't want to ever have to forget what Jesus Christ did so that I could be there. And one way to remember, even in eternity, he still got the scars of the crucifixion. He still got the scars of the crucifixion. And the last thing that ought to encourage you, he was able to eat. How about that? And you know, listen, the glorified body, can I just tell you, it has no need for nutrition. There's no decay. You don't need it, okay? You don't have to eat. You just get to. Amen? Let's pray, okay? There, listen, he can eat, and, and so it's kind of cool. I mean, um, no getting fat. Uh, don't want to gross you out. Probably, you know, no need for elimination. Um, he does, you know, he, he's eternal. But he sat down and he had fish. He had honeycomb. Listen, I'm just showing you. These are things that the Bible tells us about this resurrected body of the Lord Jesus Christ. What difference does any of that make in what we're doing? Well, that's Jesus' life post this physical life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's your life post this physical life. That's why I wanted to share that with you. And the question that you need to ask yourself today, are you sure that you know that you're saved? Are you sure that you have that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have eternal life? Have you given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and entered into this lasting partnership? Because if you have, then this is your future. And if you have not, he extends that invitation to you today. Well, the next way that he's going to introduce peace to us is through a lifelong purpose. And this is verses 21, 22, and 23. Through a lifelong purpose. Jesus comes, it says in verse 21 there, and it says, he said again unto them, peace be unto you. So there's got to be another source of trouble for our hearts. Not just being lonely, not just having fear, not just thinking that, hey, things aren't going so good, but there's got to be another source. And I believe that that source is very clear as it goes down and then it gives us the next few verses. It's a lack of purpose. You know, a lot of people stay busy in life. And a lot of people are so without direction and purpose in their life that their life is just a, a series of events, one after another. And if they slowed down long enough to just consider what their life is all about, they might not really like what they see, and so they stay busy. And, and Jesus offers for all of us who have entered into that relationship with him a purpose for living, regardless of how you draw your paycheck, regardless of the circumstances of where you live and exactly the details of what you do. He offers to you a real purpose for living. What is the purpose of life? Maybe some of you are parents and you have kids and they say, Daddy, what is, what is the purpose of life? Why are we here anyway? Well, that's a deep question from a little kid. We ought to be able to answer that question. Sometimes we just think, there's got to be more to life than what I'm doing. I go to work, I come home, I do the weekend, and then do it all over again. Over and over and over. There's got to be more to what we're doing. And so if you've not yet come to know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, the purpose of your life is to know him as Savior and to obtain the free gift of eternal life. But if you have already made that decision, then the purpose of your life is to do his mission and help others get to know him as Lord and Savior. So what we have literally here is the Great Commission in John's version of the Great Commission in verse um, number 21. Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And so what he's literally doing, okay, we saw that he encouraged the disciples. Now he's going to engage them. 
He's going to give them something to do. Okay, this is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. If we want to really understand what that means, we need to understand how was Jesus sent. And so we would have talked about how literally that idea, Jesus clearly was sent. It says over and over and over again, all through the Gospel of John, as my Father has sent me, as my Father has sent me, as my Father has sent me. Jesus is one who was sent. And we learned a while back that that root to be a sent one, okay, on a mission, is literally the word from the Greek language that gives us the word in your Bible that is apostle, one who is sent. If we took that word into our language base, which comes from more of a Latin root, the Latin root gives us the word missionary. A missionary is one who is sent. The Bible word is apostle. The word missionary doesn't appear in your Bible. And so literally, one who is sent is a missionary. One who is sent is an apostle. Jesus Christ is one who was sent. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. So he lived as an apostle, as a missionary. He left his home in heaven to come to earth. You could say a foreign land. He came to live among people who were very different than himself. We're sinners, and he was not. He came and he willingly chose to live like us culturally, to live among us in order to communicate his message to us. He did that yet without sin. But he adapted culturally so that he could make that message make sense to these people who were very different than who he was. Through the course of doing that, the Bible says in other places that he actually had to suffer unjustly in order to be able to propagate this mission, in order to be able to get the message out, there was persecution. And that was part of the plan of God in him carrying out this mission. And obviously the ultimate goal is just to reach them with the gospel, to make available to them the truth. In John chapter 18 and verse 37, it says it very clearly. Jesus says, For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. How was Jesus sent? He was sent just like I explained to you for this purpose to bear witness unto the truth. He does not force anybody to go to heaven. He just offers you the opportunity and you have the free will choice to decide whether you want it or whether you don't. How, is, how are we then sent the same exact way to be willing to take on all of these circumstantial issues that we just saw in the life of Jesus Christ and that we would make available the truth to declare it to all peoples everywhere so that they have the free will opportunity to respond to him. And he gives that to all of his disciples. My question for you is, are you his disciple? You see, he did not just give this to a special group. Are you his disciple? Because if you consider yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, he is likewise sending you. Does that mean you have to leave where you live and go to some foreign land? Not necessarily. Because there are people who are different than you who probably live pretty close to you. But just being willing to do what it takes to get the gospel to them, that is what the mission is all about. That's the purpose for our lives. You might ask me, well, why is that comforting? Well, because it does give you a purpose, and regardless of what you do for a living, regardless of how you uh, make an income, and regardless of your personality traits and, and your experiences, you can incorporate the gospel mission into wherever you are with whomever you do it. And you might say, okay, but to me that's not comforting. To me that's daunting. I can't do that. That gives me stress to think about having to do that. Well, that's why I believe he continues on then. And not only then does he engage the disciples, but he enables the disciples. Remember, this is the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. And he goes on and he says, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the world. And so what he does is he sends the Holy Spirit, right? In verse 22, it says, He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And I know that sometimes we giggle a little bit because the Bible says Holy Ghost in the King James Version of the Bible. I just wanted to explain to you that that is a very accurate 
translation. Because what is a ghost? I don't care if you think about cartoons. I don't care if you think about movies. A ghost is a disembodied spirit, right? It's a spirit of a living being that doesn't have a physical body. Isn't that what the Holy Spirit is? It is the spirit of Jesus Christ. It is the spirit of God himself, not in a body. And that spirit ultimately takes up residence in your body when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. Jesus Christ lives in my heart. That's what we tell the kids. That's what we believe. Of course he lives in my heart, but not the physical Jesus. It's the spirit of Christ that lives within me. And interestingly enough, in the King James Bible, the high level of accuracy, because whenever the King James Bible uses the term Holy Ghost, because it also uses Holy Spirit, it will always refer to the work of the Holy Spirit in you. There's a lot of times there's the work of the Holy Spirit in the world and things that he does. But when God the Holy Spirit is working in and through you, it's Holy Ghost. So it's more information and it's very accurate and you should appreciate it. But this giving of the Holy Spirit, for those of you who are Bible students know, that we've got to flip a couple pages to the right to get to Acts chapter 2, to the Feast of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells all of the believers in Jerusalem at that time. It is the first official giving of the Holy Spirit to dwell in believers. Acts chapter 2, this time is still yet future. And so these guys are getting the Holy Spirit early, so it seems. Is that what's really happening? I mean, what's really going on here? Because this is pre-Pentecost. Well, this would be the same. You need to understand this. This giving of the Holy Spirit would be no different than people in the Old Testament who would have received the Holy Spirit for the different tasks that God would have given them to do. And so in Daniel, for example, in chapter number 5 and verse 11, there's a reference to God's Spirit working in and through Daniel and in the interpretation of dreams. Likewise, in the life of Joseph, in Genesis chapter 41, and Joseph had the Holy Spirit in him, working through him to be able to interpret dreams and be able to do what he did. In Exodus chapter 31, we have a man named Bezalel, who was a skilled construction guy who was basically in charge of the building of the tabernacle. God's Spirit was all over that guy to give him the strength and the power to be able to do what he needed to do. That's exactly what we see going on with Jesus and these disciples. He's like, I've given you this task, this unbelievable thing to do, this purpose. Go and reach the world with the gospel. And they're like, oh. He said, I'll help you. Have the Holy Spirit. Because at the end of the day, it's not we that do it, right? It's the Holy Spirit that does it through us. He's the one that's going to enable us. He's the one that's going to do it. And so we can have joy in that. We can have peace in that. It's not me. He's the one. So then we get into verse number 23. And verse 23 throws people for a loop sometimes. And it's not that hard to understand. Because this issue, who can forgive sins? Verse 23. Whosoever sins ye remit. Ye, plural. That would be y'all in Georgia. Okay? Whosoever sins y'all remit to this audience of disciples, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins y'all retain, they are retained. What does that mean? Well, let me start just by explaining to you very clearly what it does not mean. What it does not mean is that Jesus Christ has set up a special priest class of people. This, this extra holy special 11 men who have now the God-given ability to forgive your sins such that you would then have to come to them and ask for forgiveness so that they can then convey God's forgiveness to you. It is not that. How do you know, Jeff, that it is not that? Because if you continue to study through the Acts of the Apostles, you never one time read in God's inspired record of any of these men ever doing that or anybody coming to them for the forgiveness of sins. And there's something else you need to understand with that, because if you were to go back to Luke chapter 24, we read in there earlier, but go a few verses earlier to verse number 33, you find that there were more disciples in that room than just the 11. It was not just the special 11 that ultimately become, you know, the holy apostles that become the pillar of the church, that become like some people would want you to think. There was a broad group of disciples that we're all given this thing about remitting and retaining sins. And so what exactly does that mean then? Well, let me help you with that. 
2 Corinthians chapter 2, you've got to watch this one. Verse number 10, the Apostle Paul says this. This is going to help you. 2 Corinthians 2.10. He says to the church, To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgive anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it, notice, in the person of Christ. Can we just kind of bottom line this thing and make it clear to you? I think this will help. I can only forgive sins that somebody commits against me. Does that make sense? If somebody sins against you, I can't go to that person that sinned against you and forgive them for what they did to you. You forgive them for what they did to you. And so likewise, we can't forgive sins that people commit against God. He forgives sins that they commit against him. Does that make sense? And so therefore, the Bible says over and over again, Colossians 3, I put in your notes, is one of many references how we are to be forgiving people. As God forgives us, we are to be forgiving others as well. And that's just an easy way to kind of keep track of it. We can't forgive sins that are committed against God. Only he can do that. But what can we do? Well, we can preach the gospel to them. We can carry out the mission. We can go and tell them that forgiveness of their sin is available. It's available in the person of Jesus Christ. We can take God's word and we can speak authoritatively from God's word and saying absolutely authoritatively that if you will surrender your heart to the lordship of Christ and ask him to forgive you, he will forgive you. It's just the gospel. That's all it is. And so that's what we see in Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39, where Paul says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. Remember when Jesus was forgiving sins on earth? And even the Pharisees understood. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, that's exactly right. Who can ultimately forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. No man can forgive sins, okay? But as it applies to you, you can, and you can have in your life this lifelong purpose of offering the forgiveness of sins to a world that desperately needs it more than they need anything else, whether they recognize it or not. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That's why we're here. Does your life have a purpose? Does your life have a purpose that is bigger than just you? Bigger than your personal desires, goals, successes, plans, and those are fine. Do you have a purpose that's bigger than that? Because I'm going to tell you something. If you don't, there is no peace for your troubled heart. I mean, history proves that people of great wealth and means suffer from anxiety and depression. Do they not? Because it's not enough. Our purpose and our meaning in life comes only through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we don't get that, we don't get anything. It's that important. Well, the last way he refers this peace be unto you is in this last series of verses from 24 to 31. And we'll call that peace through looking properly. Peace through looking properly. And here we have the story of good old doubting Thomas, right? So we see in this story that when Jesus appears the first time to the group, Thomas was out getting a burger. I don't know what. He wasn't in the room. He, did, he missed out on it. And they're like, man, we saw the Lord. And he says, I'm from Missouri and seeing's believing. You show it to me and I'll believe it. But until I see it, man, I don't believe it, right? And, uh, and so, okay. And so eight days later, Interestingly enough, because in the Bible, if you did the studies of numbers and that sort of thing, frequently we see the number eight just be a, a, a symbol of things beginning again new. Seven is complete. Eight starts the cycle all over again. It's new beginnings. And eight days later, Jesus appears again to them. The door's being shut. Vroom, he's in the midst of them. And he's like, hey, Thomas, by the way, you know. And he's like, here I am. Put your finger in the holes. Check it out. See and believe. That's ultimately the goal, right? We want to be able to believe that that's exactly what he said, that that's exactly what happens. 
And so when he does all this, when he introduces himself again after eight days, he says this statement again for the third time, peace be unto you. You see, we can get anxiety of thinking we're alone. We can get anxiety of thinking our plans have failed. We can get anxiety in, in thinking about how all, all the things that we invested in don't seem like they're working out. We can get anxiety thinking about how I don't even know why I'm alive. I don't even know what I'm doing. It just seems like the world spins round and around and I'm just getting older and it doesn't seem like my life has any purpose. And here, they might get anxiety because they don't have any faith. And God says, you've got to live your life by faith. It goes down to verse 29, and he says, okay, that's cool that now you've seen and you believe, but I love this statement. Blessed are they who have not seen and yet believe. You know what, y'all? None of us have seen the resurrected Lord physically, and if you say you have, I doubt it. (laughs) And if you believe today, you are blessed. That's what the Bible says. If you believe without having had the privilege like they had of seeing, you're blessed. That's what it says. And that's a great thing. I just want to remind you of some Bible principles. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 22. It says the Jews require a sign. And we read the Bible and we see, oh Lord, just give me a sign, just show me. And God comes through and shows them. And what do we do? We come and we say, oh Lord, I need a sign too. And boy, I'm going to tell you, that is the easiest way in the world to abuse tacking God onto whatever it is you want to do, Right? I mean, I've seen it, man. We had our ministry in Albania, and it, was, it, it grew up with uh, young people, teenagers, uh, high school and college students. And we started with a bunch. It was basically a singles class. That was our church at the beginning, okay? And, and you know, there, eventually, you know, life happens, and people want to start getting married. And the guys, for example, they'd be like, of course, they wanted God to bless whatever, you know, I want to date this girl, and I want God to bless it, you know? And so, you know, it's a long story. Anyways, they would, we'd see this kind of stuff all the time, and they'd be like, oh, God, give me a sign. If the sun comes up tomorrow, I'll know she's the one. You know, know, that's kind of dangerous. The Bible says that there's something about the Jews that require a sign. But the Bible says that when you receive Jesus Christ, you are no longer Jew nor Gentile. You are now a new creature in Christ Jesus. And what the last portion of the Scripture is really all about is you don't need any more signs. You don't need any more physical proof. You don't need any more, well, if I could just put my finger in the holes in his hands. No, you don't need that anymore. Because if you look at the next verse I've got in your list, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7, it says, we, Paul's writing to the church, we the church, Christians, not Jews, not Gentiles, we walk by faith, not by sight. And faith is defined nowhere better than Hebrews 11.1. 1 the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So if there's anything we understand about faith, it is the opposite of sight. If you can see it, you don't believe it. You have just proven it. And so he says, I want you to walk by faith, not by sight. That's what Christians are supposed to do. So if you believe him today without having ever seen him, you're blessed, and that's a wonderful thing. Let me direct your attention to Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 6. This is a great verse. If you, if you highlight, highlight. If you underline, underline. If you memorize, memorize. This is a great verse. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. As so. As you've received Jesus. How did you receive Jesus? By faith. <laughs> by faith. By, by grace, through faith, have we received him. As you've received him, by faith, So walk, live your life daily the same way. How's that? By faith. We live our life by walking daily by faith. What does that mean? According to the faith in the word of God, as we'll see, in his word, not in sight, not in circumstances, not in the details that surround us that so blind us from being able to see Christ and all the things that need to be seen. You don't need signs, wonders, miracles, to, to confirm the fact that Jesus is and he does what he says that he does. 
You don't need those anymore. The Bible record is enough. And those are the last two verses of this chapter. Those are the verses that define for us the theme of the entire Gospel of John. We're almost at the end of John. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. This is a cool record of amazing things Jesus did, but he did way more than God bothered to write down for us. Verse 31, but these, the ones I wrote down, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Do you understand that if you have a Bible in your hands, that that record that you hold in your hands right now is sufficient? It's all you need to be able to believe God for everything that he wants for you. There is no more need for these miraculous signs and wonders and things to happen in order for you to have to believe. If you are asking for those things, it's very natural. I understand. I do. But it demonstrates a weakness in our faith because faith is the opposite of sight. And so Jesus encourages the disciples he engages the disciples he enables the disciples and here he enlightens the disciples he's enlightening them he's trying to help them understand it's all about faith it's all about walking with me without having to see and a great passage that gives us the context is right here in second corinthians chapter 4 please look second corinthians 4 14 to 18 knowing that he which raised up the lord jesus there's your context right where we're at shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, again, these are the troubles of life that we all have. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment. By the way, written by the Apostle Paul who had Heavier heavier affliction than probably most all of us put together. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so, yes, we have affliction. Yes, we have stress. Yes, we have trouble. But understand, y'all, it is temporary. It is temporary, and we can overcome it. We really can because of Jesus. We absolutely can. And you say, okay, but that's hard. I don't know how to do it. Well, let me help you. Romans 10, 17. Many of you could quote it with me. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So y'all are sitting here today, and you are hearing the word of God. You're doing great. And that's how we need to live our lives every single day, hearing from God through his word because his word is the thing that allows us to see things that are not physically visible always what's going on in the spiritual world and the things that are truly eternal second thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 13 for this cause also thank we god without ceasing because when you received the word of god which you heard of us you received it not as the word of men but as it is in truth the word of god which effectually worketh also And you that believe. The word of God is not just magic. You don't just keep it on the dashboard of your car and rub it like a genie in a bottle and say, Lord, I need something today. It is the word of God that works in us when we believe it. So what does that really mean? How does that really work? Well, the idea is this. We have our lives in a physical world surrounded by physical, real circumstances that are frequently not pleasant. And we have God's word that paints a picture that very frequently is very different than what we see going on around us. And when we choose to believe what God says, even if it flies contrary to what we see, but we will choose to live and act in obedience to God's word, regardless of what we see around us, we are walking by faith. We live as if what God says is the actual reality around us. That's how we please God. We trust him. We walk by faith in his word rather than the circumstances. You ever ask people, how you doing today? Ah, okay, not so bad under the circumstances. You ever hear that? Under the circumstances? Well, what are you doing under there? (laughs) 
I mean, why don't you just come out from under there, man? There's no reason for you to live under the circumstances. And that's how we live, y'all. People live under the circumstances. And God says, see beyond that thing. You will get peace from being able to look at things properly (laughs) through the faith that comes by believing what he said, not just the circumstances around you. It's that important. Can you see the unseen through the eyes of faith? Are you willing to try? If you do, it'll bring peace to your life. Because even though the circumstances can truly be difficult, they don't define you. You can rise above that level. I'll take you one last passage of Scripture, 1 Peter chapter 1, 6-9. through 9. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. Maybe some of you are there today. Maybe you're in heaviness today. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. In whom now, though now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You can't see Jesus Christ physically today, but he's alive and he's here. And you know what his message to you today is? Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. The Bible calls him the Prince of Peace. I want us to pray together. And as we're praying together, I want each of you to seriously consider those questions that I've asked. Are you sure that you're saved? Because if you're not, man, make that decision today. And, And do you have purpose in your life? Do you live for a mission? Because if you don't, surrender to that mission today. And are you willing at least to try to live by faith? Maybe some of you used to and kind of let it slip away. I don't know. But I know there's people hurting because life is tough and it's hard for all of us. And we just need to get back to just asking God to do something in our hearts and our lives. Let's pray together.